Awesome. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad to get the opportunity to be back with you guys this morning. I was up here two weeks ago and loved it, and Jacob said I could come back and do it again, so I'm, I'm pumped to be here. And before we get started, I want to do something with you guys specifically. I want to ask you a question, and then I want to field some answers because I'm super curious. You might have been asked this question before. Um, it's this. What is your first memory? The first thing that you can remember for me, it's the first day of kindergarten. I remember walking into kindergarten and uh, not understanding the principle of, I'm going to walk in and my mom's going to walk out. I'm going to have to say bye. I didn't, I didn't get that in that minute. So I, I walked in with my mom and she showed me around and it was all great. I was like, man, this seems like kind of a fun place. And she said, okay, enjoy and started to step out and I started to walk with her. And then it dawned on me that I had, to, I had to stay and she was going to go. So kindergarten-esque response from me, I cried and clung to her leg for like 15 minutes. It was a whole show, terrible first impression for my entire kindergarten class. But that's my first memory. Uh, ouch, right? So I just want to pause and ask you guys, what is your first memory? And then I actually want to come to you and hear your name and what your first memory is. So game on. Anyone got one? Okay, stand up and say your name and what your first memory is. Hi, my name is Mariah, and the earliest memory that I can remember is I painted my older sister's boombox with her blue nail polish. Oh, nice. I thought it would be way cuter, and I got, like, not even close to done, and I got bored, and I walked away and decided to paint her chair instead. (laughs) Oh, nice. Also blue nail polish? (laughs) The same. It was a beautiful color. I just remember being like... Why didn't they just make it blue? Yeah. Amen. Why did they make it black? And it was such a, it's like a boombox. So it was like, you know, almost oh, yeah. older. She's yeah. like 10 years older than me. So, yeah, yeah annoying four-year-old sister. That's awesome. That's awesome. How are you guys now? Oh, we're good. She forgave good, me, good. but she okay, definitely score. remembers the chair and yes, the boombox. Yes, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Thank you for sharing. Anyone else? First memory. What you got? Howdy. My name is Jordan. Well, this is loud. Nice. <laughs> Um, my first memory would be uh, probably I remember I, I honestly don't even know where I was, but I remember the the day before my sister was born, my my younger sister, and I remember kind of my my parents explaining what was going to happen, <laughs> and that I was about to have a little sister, and I, I really honestly can't remember more details than that. There you go. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing. Any more first memories? Okay, what's your name? Howdy, my name's John. Uh, actually, my first memory is actually, like, it's actually a dream. I, I just remember being in, like, my family had, like a, like, a suburban. And, like, for some reason, we were on this never-ending skyline of skyscrapers. And there were ramps. And we were just in our car, just talking, having normal, normal chit-chat, but we're jumping off the skyscrapers. Okay. And, and I'm the only one like, does no one understand what's going on right now? Yeah. But now everything's going, everything, everything else is like normal. I'm just like, this is weird. That was, that's awesome. That's like the first thing I remember. It's weird because it's a dream. No one remembers dreams. Right. How old were you when you had that dream? Maybe like four. Four. Okay. Nice. Impressive. Back there? Is that one? Okay. I've got two people and then we're, we're done. So that's Hello, not my name is good, Nathan. But... Uh, this isn't like a first memory, but something that I remember when I was like in middle school or elementary school is whenever I went to 
a park um, for a field trip, which I don't know why you'd go to a park for a field trip. But we did that, and there's an outdoor bathroom with a hole in it, and there's like a big bee's nest in there, and I stuck a stick in it. And all the bees came flying out and were stinging everybody, and <laughs> everyone was crying. And it was all my fault, but, yeah, that was funny. Wow. <laughs> As bees do. Thanks for sharing. Was it? There was one more over here? All right. Oh, yeah. What you got? Uh, hi. Name's Connor. Uh, my first memory that I can, like, fully remember, I was maybe six or seven. Uh, I was dirt biking with my family, and we had just gotten back, and we were getting ready to – we went out in the morning to see the sunrise at the top of a cliff that we rode to. And so we came back, we are making breakfast, and I remember – I think I was whittling a stick or something. I remember just slicing my thumb open. Ooh. And uh, it didn't bleed or anything, but I, I cut it down to the bone. And I just remember looking at it and going, this doesn't hurt. And I just kept whittling. <gasps> and then like five minutes later, my dad comes over uh, to say, hey, breakfast is ready. And he sees my thumb. It's not bleeding still. And he's like, what's on your thumb? I was like, oh, I think I cut it. And then he was just like, oh, well, we should go to the RV and get them get a band-aid and some other stuff. Yeah. I just... Sounds like a good dad. (laughs) Perfect. And then that was that we were leaving that day too. So went, got a cut, had breakfast, and then we just dumped all the bacon grease on the fire. It exploded. And then we left. Okay, great. That's my first memory. First memory. There you go. Well, uh, thanks for sharing, everybody. That That was fun. And something that I... Something that I can't help but notice in all of those memories is none of them were like super good, you know? Nobody was like, oh, I just remember coming home for the first time and having that pancake breakfast. I don't know what I'm saying. Anyway, but when I asked Hannah, who is my wife, I still haven't gotten used to saying my wife. Thank you, thank you. Um, When I asked her that question, she said that she very vividly remembers her first day of, or some day of preschool, walking in and uh, being on the playground and realizing I've worn my pajama pants under my regular pants. You fool. And she, she remembers that perfectly vividly. But for me, when I look back on my memory of kindergarten, I, it's, it's super fuzzy. I, I don't know if I look back and see that memory as, as something that I actually remember or if it's something that I just have in my head because my family likes to tell the story of it so much. You know, my mom tells that story all the time. First day of college, it's like, Oh, I remember kindergarten, day one, clinging to my leg. So I, I don't know if I actually remember that or if it's just something that's kind of gotten in my head um, because I've heard the story. And the thing is, it's fuzzy for me, but for Hannah, her memory was perfectly clear and works very effectively in that way. So the reason that I wanted to, us to do that today is because this. In order to remain faithful to God, I believe that we need high-functioning memories, In order to remain faithful to God, I believe that we need high-functioning memories. And I'm getting that from a couple of places. Number one um, is just personal experience. I I have this, I've I've been calling it my track record of forgetfulness, where I have this pattern where a moment comes up that I have an opportunity to uh, respond to God by either being faithful and, and remembering the many times he's provided for me, cared for me, and been there for me, or I can respond with anxiety and fear and terror and negativity. And so many times I've chosen option B. I've forgotten what the Lord's done for me and gone into fear and negativity and disobeyed the Lord. 
And that's the first place that I'm getting this idea. And the second place is this, pretty much the entire Old Testament. I don't know if you've read through it in full, but uh, I'm in the process of doing so. And something that is so evident in the Old Testament is this. God's caring for his people, performing some kind of miracle. He's literally walking amongst them, revealing himself to them. He's coming down like in a cloud or a pillar of fire. God's literally right there with the people. And it's obvious that he's been caring for them. But then in the midst of that, some opportunity comes up where things are hard, and they respond by forgetting every single time that he had cared for them. They just forget. And instead, they respond by, by rebelling against him. And I think, it's, I think that's so similar to my own track record of forgetfulness. God's people, all the way through this Old Testament, have a track record of forgetfulness. Here at Grace, we've been going through the book of Psalms, and we've, uh, this is week seven of doing so, and we've looked at a lot of different Psalms, and today we're going to look at Psalm 106. Uh, the Psalms, the book of Psalms, are basically poetic expressions of the human experience. They are sort of a guidebook for us, showing us how to relate to the, to the good times, how to act in the bad times, and how to respond to the magnificence of our God. Each week we've been looking at a certain type of psalm. They're praise psalms, lament psalms, like what Dylan, wherever he is, preached on last week. Hey, Dylan. They're uh, narrative psalms, which is what we're looking at this week. And narrative psalms are basically a story that, that's meant to, that is designed uh, to teach us a lesson. So today we're going to look at Psalm 106, which is one of those narrative psalms. Um, and the track, or the, the structure of Psalm 106 is actually very similar to my own track record of forgetfulness. Laurel, a minute ago, read the first five verses of that psalm, which are a call to praise. And that's five verses, but the bad news is the next 41 verses are basically just the the anonymous author, we don't know who wrote this psalm, saying, hey, bad news, we forgot. We forgot, we forgot, we forgot, we forgot time and time and time again. And it looks a lot like my own track record of forgetfulness. And then the very last verses or a plea to the Lord for deliverance in the midst of forgetfulness. So today what I want to do is work out our memory muscle. I want to do a little bit of a workout as we're reading through this psalm, look at our memory muscle and say, how can we look at Israel's forgetfulness and work out our own remembrance? How can we remember what the Lord did in the middle of all of this forgetfulness? So I want to, I want to just focus on that today, looking to God's consistent faithfulness in the middle of forgetfulness. But before we do that, um, I, I just want to address a concern that I thought of. Um, if, if you're in this room today and you're like, you know, I, I hear that, but, but I, don't know that, I don't know that God's ever done anything for me. I don't know that he's ever spoken to me or if he's ever saved me or that God's really ever been there in my entire life. If that's you, if you're thinking that right now, I'll just say this. I remember the first time I found out that I needed these glasses. I was in third grade, and I sat in the back of my third grade class and was like, how do the other kids see this stuff? I just looked up at the screen, and I couldn't, I could barely, if I squinted and looked really hard, I could barely tell what was happening. My vision was, was unclear. I thought the reality was just blurry. I just thought that's the way it was. But then one day they came and did eye tests at our school, and I remember someone sat me down and said, you need glasses. You're in desperate need of glasses. And duh, right? So I was there in desperate need of new glasses and finally learned for the first time that it wasn't reality that was blurry. Reality was actually clear and I just needed a new prescription to see it. 
And I think some of us might need that wake-up call this morning. We might need to see that God has actually been there through it all. He's been consistent and he has been faithful in our entire story. And if we don't see it, it's not because he hasn't been moving. It's because we haven't been looking. So my hope is today that we would look and see what God has done for us. So let's open up to Psalm 106 and look closely at what we can learn from God's faithfulness. The first five verses were these. It says, Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all of his praise? Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them, that I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. So I just want to pause. These first five verses are strategically designed. He, before he even went into the long chunk of what this psalm actually is, saying, oh man, we have messed up. It says, right before we do that, we're just going to praise the Lord. So application number one for us is just when's the last time you've sat down to pray to the Lord to say, God, I've messed up, or God, I want this, or God, I need this in my life. But before I even say that, I just want to declare your praiseworthiness. And that's why we opened with worship. That's why Jake and the whole team was up here leading us in worship, because we just want to, before we even think about the condition of our heart, we want to say, God, I know in the middle of this hardship that you are praiseworthy. So those are the first five verses. Let's look at the next ones. Verse 6 says this, Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. So I I just want to again pause and say this. Something to note in this psalm is that from the instant, the psalmist says, both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. He's not saying, there's these people out there, and we're just going to talk about them, and they've done evil. They've done wickedness. They've messed up time and time and time again. He's saying, those people who messed up, that's us. I'm counting myself in. I am right there alongside them. And you know what? I, the hard reality of this is that we are included alongside the psalmist and the people who sinned in these verses. All of the sins, screw-ups, and shortcomings were right there alongside them. The same has happened with us. So as we're reading this, I just want to say, hey, let's just, let's just include ourselves in these verses and realize, man, it's going to be hard because there's some hard truth, but let's, let's include ourselves. Okay, so the next verses say, say this. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Now this story that it's talking about here, there are like 15 stories in this psalm that he points to. And this first one is so significant. It's called the parting of the Red Sea. So if you have, um, if you have a Bible in front of you or a phone... I'd encourage you to mark your spot and turn to Exodus 13. It's at the front of your Bible. It's the second chapter, the very end of Exodus 13. And we're going to look at this story. Here's the situation. There's this group called Israel. And Israel are God's chosen people. He's chosen to move through them, to use them, and to make them um, his people who represent him to the world. And for a long time, they were enslaved in this land called Egypt under a guy named Pharaoh who treated them terribly. They were slaves. It was a bad situation, real bad. 
And what God did is he said, I'm going to raise up this guy named Moses who's going to pull you out of that slavery through my hand. And God performs these miracles that are indisputably God's work for the, land, for the people of Israel. And he pulls them out of slavery. And they're on their way out of Egypt, running from the Egyptians, running in the opposite direction toward the promised land. And where they stand right here is in front of the Red Sea. It's this huge sea, and they've been pursued by their enemies for so long, and their enemies are finally catching up. So look at the very end of Exodus 13, uh, verse 20, and here's what, how it said that God was providing for them. This is, this is crazy. It said, And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them in a, in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. And they... Uh, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people. So the Lord was very, very clearly, very abundantly providing for the people, caring for them. So then jump ahead and we're going to see how they respond when uh, Egypt catches up, when Pharaoh, when these bad guys who have been pursuing them catch up to them. They're standing, remember, they're standing in front of the Red Sea and behind them are their enemy. So look at Exodus 14, verse 10. It says this, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching toward them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is not that this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. So in this moment, instead of remembering just a few verses earlier when God had been there in a pillar of cloud and fire, literally surrounding them and protecting them, they forgot. They forgot. And that's what it says right here in these verses. They did not consider your wondrous works, the wondrous works that God had done in Egypt. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. In a critical moment, they failed. A little while ago, I came across this thing on the internet uh, where this preschool teacher had had her students uh, come up with, with these recipes. And I just think it's, man, it's so worth sharing with you guys today because it fits right in right here. They say this. So this is the first recipe that was created. It's Ethan's eggs. The serving is 10. The prep time is one hour. The cook time is two seconds. The cost is $3. And the ingredients for Ethan's eggs are pancakes, sugar, and Skittles. Where to buy? Texas Roadhouse. Here are the instructions from Ethan. First, you put pancakes and then sugar, and that's it. You can cook it, but you can go to my house, and I will give you eggs, because my mom makes eggs all the time. You can eat them with a spoon. Don't put anything on them, because that's how you make eggs, with nothing. Those are Ethan's eggs. The next one is Ariana's macaroni, which I would love to try. The serving is three people. The prep time is five minutes. The cook time is five minutes a day. The cost is, I think, $2. The ingredients, melted cheese, macaroni, apples, Strawberries, I like them because they're healthy. Toys, backpack, doll. Where to buy? Walmart and Target. Wait, I'm trying to think. Oh yeah, the mall. Instructions. First, you put the macaroni in the stove, and now you put it in the end. Put it to the oven. Put it to the oven and put cheese and more melted cheese. The oven has to be hot like fire, like a candle, like for birthdays. Now you need to tell everyone that it's time to leave. It's time to leave. And I have to leave because I'm going to a party with a swimming pool. My sister says, why do you go to the swimming pool? And I say, because I like it. 
Now I go home, and I am waiting for it not to be hot. And then my sister says, why do you do that? It's because you blow on the macaroni so it won't be hot. You need to wait. Now it's done. And then the, the crown jewel, Joe's Tacos. <laughs> okay, Joe's Tacos, serving. I don't even know. Uh, prep time, like 45 minutes. Cook time, I think 55 minutes. Cost, I don't even know. Ingredients, get the meat and the lettuce at HEB. Taco shells are there too. I have cheese at my house, so I don't have to go to the store and get more. Lettuce, potato. Wait, is it potato or tomato? No tomato. No tomato? No tomato. Anyway, where to buy? I don't even know where to get the other stuff. Instructions. First, I don't actually know. I really don't remember anything. Can I, can I change this to cheesy roll-ups? Because they are super easy. There is only three stuff you need. White cheese, yellow cheese, and tortilla. I don't even want to make tacos anymore. I don't know how. It is too hard to think about tacos. But I can make cheesy roll-ups. They are super easy. They come from Taco Bell. I need yellow cheese and I don't know where to buy the white cheese. I don't know how to make tacos. Cheesy roll-ups are better because I know how to make them. Let me think. One time I made candy, and it turned brown. I don't want tacos anymore. I like them, but I love cheesy roll-ups more. I don't like beans because beans make me throw up. My mom made me eat a burrito one time with beans, and I threw up. Wait, I know how to make watermelon. It is easy. Just buy the watermelon and eat it. Those were Joe's tacos. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, yeah, yeah, thanks, thanks. Uh huh. Man. <laughs> now, why do I share those recipes? Because I think in a moment where it was critical for them to remember some truth, they didn't. They forgot. And that is exactly what happens right here with Israel. In a moment where they had the opportunity to remember what had happened before them, they failed. They forgot what God had done. So I just want to pause right now and ask you this question. Can you relate? Can you relate to, to this feeling? Because I can. I, I, for me, my anxiety used to flare up at the, at the end of each semester. I would see the, the pile of things that I, that I had in front of me. I would see, man, I've got 15 exams. I've got friends I need to catch up with before the summer. I've got, I've got commitments to my organizations to get this and this and this and this done. I've got Christmas parties to go to, whatever. I would see all of the things, and I would think, there's no way that I'll ever get through this. There's no way that I'll ever manage. But you know what I would forget in those moments? That I had had the same exact pile of things for seven other semesters, and that through every single one, God had piggybacked me through it. But in the middle of all of it, I would forget and respond with anxiety. So I just want to ask you can, you, can you relate to this feeling right now? Do you feel this? Well, here is how God responded to Israel when they forgot him in the midst of the wilderness. It says this, Yet he saved them for his namesake, that he may, might make known his mighty power, He rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry, and he led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. So right here, they're standing, waiting on their their enemies approaching them, ready to kill them. And Moses says, wait, sticks his staff into the ground, and the waters part. And open up for Israel to walk through. And I just want to say this. We may forget and doubt. 
but God remembers and delivers. We may forget and doubt, but God remembers and delivers. So I want to ask you this. How has God created a path for you when there seemed to be none? How has he carved out a path for you when there seemed to be none? This is what I believe, that if we, if we look back at the paths that God has paved, if we remember the paths that God has paved, it will fuel our trust in the paths that God is paving. If we remember the path that God paved, it will fuel our trust in the path that God is paving. So how have you looked and remembered, or what has God done for you? What paths has he made and crafted out for you? Because we may forget and doubt, but, but God remembers and delivers. So I think we've already done a great job of, of stretching our memory muscles by looking back and seeing what God did through them. And then uh, now I, I just want to kind of, kind of change directions. I'm looking at the clock, and man, we've got, I've got a lot of material for each of, these, each of these individual stories. But I think what we might need to do today is just get less message and more, more reflection. And I, I just want to go through, these, through the rest of this psalm and point to the, to the principled ways that they forgot. I just want to look and see the ways that the Israelites, in the midst of all of this providing for the Lord, providing from the Lord, how they forgot, and ask us this, can we relate? Can we relate to what God has done in the middle of all of this? So let's just read the, read the next verses, and we're just going to see, we're going to stretch our memory muscles by seeing what they forgot, and thinking, how can I remember in the midst of all of this? So this is verse 13 and 15. But they soon forgot his, his works. Ouch. What was the end of the last verse? Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. Woohoo! But soon they forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. Come on. But they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and put God to test in the desert. He gave them what they asked, but sent a wasting disease among them. They forgot that God had their genuine best interest in mind. What had happened in the wilderness is God had literally been giving them bread from the heavens for months, for years. He had been giving them sustenance, food, every single day. They went out every morning and there was more and more bread. But then you know what they said? It's not enough. They said this bread is like, what's that stuff called? The Ezekiel bread from the frozen section. It's no good. We need meat. They said, God, you've been providing for us, but we need more. Give us meat. And God didn't like this, obviously. What they forgot in this moment is that God had their genuine best interest in mind. Man, is that something you can relate to? Okay, the next verses say this. When men in the camp were jealous of Moses and Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord, the earth opened up and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abram. Fire also broke out in their company. The flame burned up the wicked. They forgot that they had intrinsic worth and value. And where do I get that? I get it because not realizing your own value is what leads to comparison, what leads to envy. So I think this is what was happening here. They, these people chose to envy Moses and Aaron. And if you know the story of Moses and Aaron, these are the two people who are the least enviable people, like in the whole world. They were held to the highest standard of, ho- of holiness by God. And these are the people who they chose to envy, Moses and Aaron. So this is how it results. They forgot that they had intrinsic worth and value. The next verse is, they made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a metal image. They worshipped a metal calf. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. They forgot that God is enough. 
in the middle of all of this. They forgot that God is enough for them to worship and praise. And if I could point to all of the times that I've forgotten that God is enough by worshiping worthless things like an ox that eats grass, the psalm almost laughs at what they chose to worship. An ox that eats grass. (laughs) You know, do you see it? And I just see that it's like, man, I, I worship so many worthless things. The amount of times that I've forgotten that God is enough. The next verses say this. Therefore he said he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. This is a confusing verse, but I just want to point to this. Praise God that there are people in the midst of this psalm who remember things about God. And what does Moses remember right now in this moment? Moses remembers that his prayers matter to God. He stands before God and he goes to him in a moment where God says, I'm going to destroy the people. And Moses says, will you relent? Will you relent? Will you show mercy to the people instead of destroying them? And God says, because you prayed this prayer, I will show mercy to them. So man, I hope that we can walk out of here and remember like Moses did, pointing to the few people who remembered that our prayers matter. So let's read the next verses. It said, then they despised the promised land, having no faith in, their prom- in his promise. They murmured in their tents and they did not obey the Lord. Therefore he raised his hand and swore to them that he would make them fall in the wilderness and would make their offspring fall among the nations, scattering them among the lands. What was happening right here is God had promised these people that he was going to get them to this land flowing with milk and honey, this perfect place. And they were standing on the outskirts of it. There was a mountain range between them and the promised land. They sent up these spies to go and check it out. And the spies got over there and looked. And what they saw was tall walls and big soldiers. And they were like, we can't. We can't do this. We're afraid of this. But what had happened before these verses is God had taken them up against other armies in battle, and he had defeated the other armies completely while not harming a single Israelite soldier. Isn't that crazy? These huge battles against thousands of people, they didn't lose one person. They lost everyone. God had given them massive military victories, yet they're standing on the outskirts of their promised land. And he says, they despised the pleasant land, having no faith in his promises. The next verses say this, Then they yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. They provoked the Lord to to anger with their deeds, and a plague broke out among them. Then Phinehas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stayed. And that was counted to him as righteousness for generation to generation forever. They chose to worship other things. They forgot that God, and only God, is worthy of all of their praise. And then they angered him at the waters of Meribah, and it went ill with Moses on their account, for they made his spirit bitter, and he spoke rashly with his lips. They forgot the negativity has consequences. What was happening here is Israel was so unbearably negative that Moses, their leader, just gets so mad that he disobeys God. And you know what that resulted in? It went ill with Moses on their account. Moses, because of the actions of these people and because his own response was negative, didn't get to enter the promised land like he thought he was going to be able to. So this is, this is rough. They forgot that negativity has consequences. Next is this. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They forgot to follow the Lord wholeheartedly. When God had said, this is how you follow me, they only did it partially. They only chose to partially follow God's commands. They forgot to follow the Lord wholeheartedly. 
And then they sacrificed their sons and daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. Thus they became unclean by their acts and played the whore in their deeds. Here's this confusing verse, what it's saying. They forgot the value of every single life. They forgot that every single life has value. And then finally, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people. I get it. And he abhorred his heritage. He gave them into the hand of the nations so that those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them and they were brought into subjection under their power. They forgot that they were created to, to follow their creator. They forgot that they were created to follow their creator and followed so many other things. And here's the worst, I, I know this is going a negative direction right now, <laughs> but here's the worst news of all. At the beginning, like I said, this psalmist included us. He said, we have sinned alongside Israel. All of these things that they've done, we've done too. And I, you know what, I feel it. I, I think about this and I remember times that I have forgotten that God has my genuine best interest in mind. I've forgotten that I have intrinsic worth and value. I've forgotten that God is enough. I've forgotten that God through everything would care for me. I've forgotten that there is only one God worthy of my praise. I've forgotten that negativity has consequences. I've forgotten to follow the Lord wholeheartedly. I've forgotten that every life has value. And I've forgotten that I was created to live for my creator. But here's the best news of all. The psalm isn't over. The psalm is not over. Read verses 44 through 46 with me. Or these were the, this is the worst part of all. He says, Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes, and they were brought low in their iniquity. This is the culmination of all of the bad they had been experiencing, but then this is the next verse. Nevertheless, praise God that that word is in there. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. I just want to pause right there and say this. We forget and fall short, but God remembers and forgives. Here's the thing. In the beginning, in the very beginning, God created man in perfect, in, in perfection alongside him. There was a guy named Adam and a woman named Eve, and they lived in perfect unity with God in this garden. And then this moment came that they forgot the first thing that has ever been forgotten. <laughs> they forgot the goodness of God and instead decided to disobey the one command that he had given them. And they brought sin into the world and it, and it existed in them and it persisted for all of human history. And it's still alive today. And that these sins that they're talking about here, man, it existed from the garden up to now. We can still feel these things and they'll always They'll be here. We feel them and we understand that these sins are actually here and pressing on our lives. But God, in the beginning, right after Adam and Eve made that bad decision, stepped in. He stepped in and said, man, I see that you have messed everything up, but from the beginning, I'm going to institute a plan to reconcile, to forgive you. And that plan begun in Genesis 3, actually. And I just want to read the verse in the very beginning, the man we can point back to as our hope. The Lord said this to his enemy who had caused them to sin. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And this is the promise of a savior. He's saying that someone's going to come who you're going to think you've defeated. You're going to think you crushed 
his heel. We're going to think you struck him and killed him, but in reality, he's going to crush your head and defeat you. And God remembered years later, as you turn the pages from Malachi to Matthew, the Old Testament to the New Testament, God remembered that promise that he made as he wraps himself in flesh and steps to the earth in the person and God of Jesus Christ. And he remembered what he came there for by living the perfect life despite our own forgetfulness and sinfulness time and time and time and time again. Despite the fact that we would keep falling into these, into these shortcomings and sins, he remembered what he came for. And what he did is he stepped up on a cross and took our sins alongside him and died there on the cross with our sins. But he didn't stay there. After he had defeated them, he rose from the grave three days later and said, I'm here to take victory over death and sin and every single thing that you will ever forget if you choose to put your faith in me. And he said that I will never forget that if you trust in me, that I will give you eternal life. So man, I I want you to know that we may forget and fall short, but God will always remember and forgive as he designed. Praise God. So I I just want to point to two ways that we can walk out of here and remember what God has done for us today. The first one is this. There's a guy who spoke over at Mainside at Anderson last week, um, and he said this. He said, give yourself the gift of 15 minutes. Give yourself the gift of 15 minutes. Take this week 15 minutes to sit down with a journal and write out the ways that God has previously provided for you. Write out and say, hey, what are the paths that God has paved so that I can trust the paths that he is paving? Man, take the, give yourself the gift of 15 minutes. And then don't let that 15 minutes stay right there. Take it out into the rest of your week and say, hey, God, I, I remember these paths that you have paved and therefore, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna look to look to and trust the paths that you're paving. And then the second way that you can remember all of this is through a thing called Holy Communion. The really cool thing is that Jesus, on the night before he died, instituted this thing called communion. And right now, uh, Jacob's going to come up and help us go through that. We're going to talk about how to, how to remember what God has done for us through communion. Because Jesus looked at us and said, do this always. So right now what I want you to do is just listen up and join in with Jacob as we talk through communion. Yeah, so I'm going to give you a few instructions. Uh, if you've never taken communion, communion with us uh, here at Anderson College, well, this is a great, great time to start. I mean, the, what a great uh, you know, setup and what a great message to, to follow off of that you know, essentially we have so much to be thankful for. We have so much to remember and be grateful for in, in terms of what God has accomplished on our behalf. And that's what communion is all about. It's a chance to gather, to remember, to reflect, to celebrate Christ's sacrifice. And it's not something that's mystical. It's not something that, uh, you know, when we read scripture, we do, we do not see it having any sort of saving power. But instead, it, it's, it's an opportunity to just pause and just, just get to a healthy place of, as Ben was saying, to remember the faithfulness of God. Because this is how Paul explains it in 1 Corinthians 11. He's writing to a church, and he's telling them, he's, he's impressing upon them the importance of taking communion, of, have, of practicing the Lord's Supper. And this is what he says. He says, I received this from the Lord, what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. So do this in remembrance of me. 
And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. So do this every time you drink it in remembrance of me. And then Paul pauses and gives a moment to, again, just reinforce the purpose, the reasoning behind this practice. He says, every time, every time you eat this bread, every time you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to have two stations set up that you can go to at the back of the room where we have a cup and we have bread. And we would encourage you, just as you feel led, if you've placed your faith in the, in the death, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, if you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, man, remember alongside of us what he's done on our behalf. So as you feel led, we're going to sing one more song. And during that song, you can just make your way towards the back. There's no, like, starting point, uh, you know, like, ready, set, go. We're not dismissing rows or anything like that. But just as you feel led, you can make your way to the back to just remember what Christ has done, the body that was broken, the blood that was spilled, the sacrifice that was made, because God is faithful even when we're faithless, because God is faithful even when we forget, because God is good even when we are evil and broken and sinful. He made a way for us to know him and be adopted into his family. So I'm going to open us in a time of prayer. We'll start into worship. And as I said, during this time, just at any point, you can feel free to make your way to the back uh, if that's what you want to do. So let me pray for us. Lord God, we are grateful that you've given us this morning as an opportunity to remember what you've done. God, thank you for speaking through Ben. God, thank you for the truth and wisdom of your word. Lord, we ask that you would use this time of worship and remembrance to further glorify your name. God, to further proclaim the death of Jesus Christ upon which our lives hinge. So God, we ask, use this worship. Use this time. God, we pray these things in your will. Amen.